you know, when the Japanese say, oh, that's difficult. And most people, okay, that's difficult. That's not impossible. Often that means no. But I'm the kind of person, even though it means no. Okay, so how can we make that happen? Konnichiwa, minasan. Business Success Japan no podcast de yokoso. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Success Japan podcast. This is your host, Liddy Buchelman. My main goal here is to create an easily accessible resource for those who want to develop Japan specific communication skills, especially in business. While I don't promise to make you fluent in Japanese, I hope that you will walk away from each episode with a skill, piece of information, or shift in mindset that will help you be more effective in your interactions with Japanese business people. Also, a quick reminder to please rate and review the podcast if you enjoy it. It goes a long way to helping others find the podcast and learn more, and it also helps me to keep going as an independent creator. So, thanks in advance. In today's episode, I got to enjoy an in depth conversation with Chie Schuler. Chie is a leader in international relations and cross cultural engagement with a focus on US Japan relations at THK Manufacturing of America. She works to break down barriers and serve as a catalyst for international collaboration. With her team, she is closing the distance between the US and Japan with services and programs including translation and interpretation, Japanese language and culture training, corporate communications, and social media. But you'll hear more about her work and life during the episode, so be sure to stick around to hear more about that. But before that, let's go over a little bit of Japanese language. In the previous episode, we learned a phrase that you'll probably hear variations of if you ever go to Japan and speak any amount of Japanese. Nihongo jōzu. Ni. Ho. N. Go. Jō. U. Zu. Nihongo jōzu. This phrase just means good at Japanese. This is a casual way of saying this, however, so be sure to check out the previous episode to hear the more polite version of this phrase, as well as why it's a bit of a tongue in cheek joke when said among foreigners in Japan. This week, I wanted to go over a phrase that, while a little bit long, is quite useful to learn or at least understand. Sore wa chotto muzukashii desu. Sore wa chotto muzu. Ka shi i desu. Sore wa chotto muzukashii desu. I'll quickly break it down for you before getting into the cultural importance of this phrase. You may want to go ahead and look at the phrase breakdown in the description of this episode as well to follow along. Sore is a pronoun that means that, and wa is a particle that marks the word before it, sore, as the topic of the sentence. Chotto is most easily translated as a little or a little bit, and muzukashi means difficult. Das is just used at the end of the sentence to politely mark it as present or future tense. So, putting it all together, this sentence means that is a little bit difficult, or that will be a little bit difficult. Another common variation of this is to simply say, sore wa chotto. Which effectively means the same thing even without specifically saying muzukashi. As we hear later on in the episode, though, there's more to this sentence than just its literal meaning. In reality, this sentence usually means no, or that whatever you requested is impossible or somehow unreasonable. In Japanese culture, however, 
It can be very rude to say no directly, especially in a professional context where people want to be polite and preserve group harmony and relationships. Be sure to listen for the phrase later on in the conversation and get a feel for how it fits into Japanese corporate culture. But without any further delay, let's get into today's episode. Thank you so much for your time today, Chie. I really appreciate、mm-hmm. it. Would you mind quickly taking a minute to introduce yourself to my audience?、Uh, yes. So,、uh, hi, I'm Chie Shuler, and I was born and raised in Japan, a city called Ishinomaki in Miyagi. Japan, and I've been living in the United States、um, more than 20 years now. I came to the United States as an exchange student when I was senior in high school. And the first time I came here,、um, moved to Illinois, lived in Wisconsin, Indiana. Now I've been living in Ohio for more than、uh, 15 years now. So this is my 16th year. And I'm a wife and a mother of two young children and two dogs. Yeah, you mentioned just a minute ago that you were having some issues with the dogs, but got it under control. <laughs> so, can you share a little bit about what you do right now for work?、Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I work for a company called THK Manufacturing of America. It's a manufacturing sector for a company called THK, the headquarters in Japan, and I'm a manager for language and communications department. Awesome. So, you've spent a lot of time now in the Midwest of the United States. Right.、Um, I and I think a lot of my listeners are from the United States.、Mm-hmm. I am more specifically from the Midwest, from Michigan, and I've lived here most of my life. So, I was just curious about what parallels you've noticed in your time in the Midwest <laughs> of the United States between、right. rural Japan. So, I'm from a country. Side of Japan.、Mm-hmm. Now, Ishinomaki, the, the city called Ishinomaki, it's a small city to begin with, but I'm outside of that city area. I lived in the countryside of the Ishinomaki、um, in the area. It's been there for thousands of years. From the city side to where I live, it's a flat rice field. And then there is a neighborhood by the foot of mountains. So that's where, my, you know, where I grew up. So I clearly remember the first day I landed in Illinois. My host family picked me up. And then when we were driving from the airport to their house, of course, you see a rice, no rice field, I'm sorry, cornfield, right? So I was staring at all those like endless cornfields. And I'm like, oh, kind of like my hometown, you know, but it's just not rice field, it's cornfield. Only thing that was missing was the mountain. So that's the first. From the beginning, right away, I noticed, oh, it's not that much different. And even though many people think in Japan, you know, the public transportation is there, so not a lot of people have cars or you don't need a car. That's the case if you live in the city. But from where I'm from, all the adults have cars. <laughs> kind of like, you know, if you live in the Midwest, it's pretty much you have to have a car unless you live in downtown, the bigger cities, right? So those are. Very first thing I noticed, but also the people. Now, one of、uh, the t h i n g about me is that I tend to make connections with、uh, people from different you know, backgrounds, but yet I tend to find something you know, common, common, right? Something to connect. And people in the Midwest really reminded me of people back home. They're hardworking people. And also the industry, you know, there's a lot of farming going on, but also there's a lot of factories. Now, now, to be specific from where I come from, farming was a big industry, but also, you know, fishing. And、um, there's a lot of、uh, 
food processing company that would, you know, process a lot of seafood. And a lot of, you know, my friends, their moms uh, would work there. And also, you know, there will be people working in the factory as well. So something about the people that I'm it made me kind of feel like even though U.S. and Japan is very different, however, there's some similarity that I saw that too. And also, I'm uh, my family also had a farm in the rice field, but it's not like a family business where they're selling the rice or the vegetable they made. It's really for us and for family and friends, but they also had a full-time job. So they, there's the word called in Japanese, kenyo noka. Kenyo noka, meaning you're a farmer, but you have full-time job. And I've asked this to my uh, colleagues. Okay, what's the word for that in, in America or in English? You have a full-time job, but there are a lot of my colleagues have a farm back home, right? So I don't know how they do it. I don't know how my parents did it, having a full-time and doing, you know, taking care of the farms and all that. But um, they said the closest thing they could think of a word in English is like a gentleman farm or something like that. I, I don't even know if there's a word or not, but I don't even think there is a word exists. So if your listener knows what Kenyo Noka is in English, I'd like to know that too. Yeah, I would too. That's uh, definitely something I hadn't even thought of. Ha- like somebody having a full-time job in addition to farming. I'd heard of people having right. part-time jobs to help mm-hmm. supplement, especially in the winter, but right. The idea of having a fully fledged career on top mm-hmm. of running a farm sounds crazy. Right. It's crazy. So I don't know, especially my mom, how she did it. <laughs> so you mentioned that there's a fair number of parallels between mm-hmm. kind of people's work ethic in right. rural Japan and the Midwest of the United States. But how about the work culture? Any similarities or differences there that you've noticed? Definitely there is a distinguished like you know difference between Japanese working cultures and American working cultures but I think one thing you notice from if you're moving from one company and a transfer to United States you have one goal they're working together towards regardless of the cultural difference I see a lot of the difference in more of people's struggle is outside of work. A lot of times within the company, of course, there's a language barriers, right? And a certain uh, cultural difference of, okay, in America, people are really friendly. So if you pass, you know, walking down the hall, and even though you don't know that individuals, you they smile and start talking to me what do I do some of the expats would kind of first ask me that that they're really friendly it's a good thing but they're not used to that so how would they how do I deal with this but a lot of that I've seen is that when expats are transferred to the United States if they're working within the company they have a common goals they have you know corporate cultures and they have common uh, like products or the maybe system they're working with. So they see more similarity maybe uh, compared to outside of the business kind of working environment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What does it mean in your work to try and Mm -hmm. close the distance between Japan and the U.S.? You've mentioned Mm -hmm. that on your LinkedIn profile that that's a big goal of the work that you do. So what does that look like to you? So what that means is for someone like me who is bilingual, but bicultural, and most of the time working closely with the Japanese expat. And um, 
more of uh, privilege. I'm not, pro- I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that word right, uh, leverage. Um, and taking advantage of the fact that you are bicultural and bilingual and working close with that Japanese expat, you might notice something that may be able to make a difference. And you will talk about that and share that idea. And I have to say that I was very fortunate, the fact that I have always been working directly under the president. So if you start noticing something or you have an idea, you will share that idea and they know how that idea should be translated better or maybe twist or change a little bit to you know be able to present better to the headquarters side. So I have made that kind of suggestions. And like I said, I've been very fortunate to have a president, somebody who takes the time to listen to the idea, but also, okay, you know, maybe we should do this way or that way, but take that idea and then work with the headquarters to make that happen. So that's what I mean by for someone like me, if you see the opportunity not to be shy, but try to promote to both ends. Because some of the ideas I see here may not be maybe decided or um, comes from the headquarters side or whoever that is, if there is a chance to um, revelage the position to kind of work towards that. I definitely can see how that would be invaluable in a, in a company that does so <laughs> yeah, much so I have to really give a credit to the people that I work with because that's not something that I can only if I just say something but it doesn't go anywhere it has not have happened so I, I have to really say that I was really fortunate to be uh, working for a current company and then the people that I work with so then how do you manage trying to translate the culture as well as the language because I know a big part of your work is translating language, but I have found mm-hmm. in my own experience that trying to describe, I guess, <laughs> Japanese culture or a, the Japanese way of thinking, whatever that means, to right. people who don't have that cultural context is very difficult. So how do you usually navigate that? Right. So again, I've been very fortunate, the fact that I was internal interpreter and translators, never had to really work directly with somebody outside, I guess, external clients or anything like that. So I give a huge credit to, you know, conference interpreters and also freelance translators who may not have the opportunity to talk directly with the customers, right? Or the clients. But for me, because the people that I support or people I work with or for are all most of the time internal colleagues. Now, there are times that we have to work with the auditors or, you know, somebody, our customers, that's true. But most of the time that we have to assist is internal. So there, if there are certain things, a cultural thing going on that I see, then after the meeting, I will take that time to explain. Mm-hmm. Here's what's going on and what he said is if that's something that's really cultural concept that will take a long time to explain it, then I can tell them, you know, this is such whatever that they were talking about is related to the history or related to maybe some kind of cultural background that requires a lot of long time to explain it, then I'll stay after the meeting and then talk to the either American colleagues or Japanese colleagues, what that means or what the word means or the cultural background or maybe history lesson, could it be a history lesson too, but try to explain that to close that gap. Now, if the uh, things that need to be explained is very short, then 
I might say, you know, or I might add with a permission that knowing if that uh, person who's speaking don't give any kind of background, then I say, well, that's kind of cultural thing. If you, if I translate or interpret as it is, it may not be get cross. Is it okay to add some explanation? And they usually there say, say, oh yeah, yeah, go ahead and explain. Or that person speaking realize, oh, okay, so it's a new concept. So let me explain. And that person was start explaining it. So we were again fortunate to the fact that we were given that permission to say or ask, hey, is it okay if we explain this or could you explain that in your own words? Because that's a new concept. That's a more cultural thing because that person may not be realized that's a cultural thing. You know, it's an American thing or Japanese thing. They may not realize that. So so that's kind of the way I have been approaching to translating or interpreting between the cultural thing. And there is definitely a time that, uh, especially in translating some words, that you have to know the audience, right? So if a certain words, foreign or Japanese words, um, may need a little footnote in the end, you know, what that means. Yeah, and I like that distinction between if it's a small thing that you can just point out at the time, or right. if it's a big thing that you need to set aside mm-hmm. a little bit more time for a more long form, almost right. lecture at times <laughs> to explain it. Yeah. So it's been, I, I, like I said, I've been very fortunate to the fact that the people that I support is internal, mm-hmm. you know, colleagues. Okay. So people have always been relatively receptive to those cultural interventions. I don't know how else to phrase it, <laughs> but yes. And okay. also I think it helps. I encourage a lot of bilingual staff in my department that also helps to build a relationship with the others get to know each other by kind of explaining that, taking time to explain it. Or if you didn't understand something, some concepts, especially like some engineering terms or very technical terms you don't know, you stay and ask questions. So that also, not just the cultural, but the technical side too, that we are encouraged to ask questions so we can get to know about the process and the products and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very lucky to be in a place that encourages that curiosity, Mm -hmm. definitely. Right. But if you were speaking to somebody who was also a little bit of that cultural bridge and Mm -hmm. understood maybe where there have been some communication breakdowns or there have been some difficulties, but they're working with people who might be a little bit less receptive to evaluating things from a cultural perspective, Mm -hmm. what would you say to somebody in kind of that difficult situation? Is it a matter of trying to build more rapport with the people you want to help understand culture or what would you think what would you say to that person if they're having a hard time translating that in between the cultures or in between the line right if one side is less receptive to the idea of looking at things through a cultural lens like oh but this is what makes sense to me so why doesn't it make sense to the other side yeah well I think only thing I can say is to do your best mm. of try to explain it. But if that, like you said, if that person, other party is like, you know what? Okay. I don't care what the other people. Okay. Okay. That's the way it is. Okay. I understand. But however, this is what he or she was coming from. Okay. You can't, you know, you don't have to agree with it, but that's how it, how it is. Yeah. That can be a very difficult situation when the other, you know, party don't really care about what you have to say or what the other was trying to say and they had you know if that was related to the more cultural thing that can be very difficult but uh, all we can do is do our best to uh, kind of try to you know meet the requirements or try to adjust to the audience and 
if you at the point it's not gonna get anywhere, and if it's gonna get worse, if you know that person and just talking about that would make it worse, and then again know the audience, and if that person don't want to know or don't care, then just do your best of kind of you know know how much you should really go outside of your you know comfort zone and trying to help that person. I think it really up to um, that individual to decide that. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. So, do you notice anything kind of special about where you work? Like, why are people so receptive to looking at things the way that they do, to asking questions, to allowing this sort of curiosity about things, and allowing this ability to change how you think about things, even because corporate culture in America can be a little bit ego driven at times. Where we don't, a lot of times people feel threatened if they're introduced to a new concept or a new way of thinking. So, is there anything kind of distinctive about where you work? Yeah,、um, I mean the corporate culture that we try to really understand each other. We know coming in for people who are coming into our company, they know we are Japanese-owned company. They know in the local, you know, community we know as a THK, we are a Japanese-owned company. It's everywhere, and they know it. So, who are coming into、uh, work for us know that it's there. And then we also make it clear: Hey, we are all Japanese companies.、Um, we may have some roots to the Japanese culture, but it's more like THK culture. We call that TMA way. Because we are THK Manufacturing of America, because we are manufacturing sector, we have you know R and D and the sales side too, but we are the manufacturing sector, so we call ourselves a TMA and we call that TMA way. So we make it very clear: Hey, we are not you know maybe next door other manufacturing companies that's owned by the local people. Our headquarters in Japan. We have Japanese expats.、Uh, we have the way of doing things maybe different, but also. A lot of times, I see is that you know, even though there might be a language barriers or cultural barriers, there are things that they may not agree with it, but they always compromise, try to meet in the middle, try to listen to the other parties,、uh, what they have to say, and try to work out the solution. Even though there could be learning moment because that that person was new and didn't know how things work, but also. So I think the bottom line that they know what they're coming into, and then people、uh, that are coming from Japan as well, they know they are transferred to America in Ohio, so they understand that that is not going to be exactly the same as the way they lived or worked in Japan. Yeah, I think it's invaluable to make sure everybody understands. The expectations of where they're working and the expectations of the people they're working with. Right. So for our bilingual staff, we get all the support from all the different functions because we help. We don't belong to the certain departments. For our companies, we have language and communications department, and we support all the departments. So they know that more we know and more we can help them. So even though they're extremely busy with their daily, you know, work. Usually, when we have a time,、uh, when we ask questions, they take the time to explain to us what that means. But then you mentioned people going back and forth to Japan and、um, being settled in one country or the other. And can you share a little bit about some of the common struggles you see Japanese people face when they come to work with you in、mm-hmm. the states? 
So that's odd. One thing is very obvious. It's language, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that they are now, you know, most of, most of the people that been transferred here, they might have experienced traveling through the world in different countries, Europe or United States, but they, they never have to actually live, you know, and the work. Of course, some of them have been here uh, for maybe short-term projects, but never had to actually live, live. So like, as I mentioned before, within a, like work-related things, even though there are some cultural differences or maybe difficulties they may face, what I noticed the most is the more like outside of work environment can be very challenging because they don't have that common language, right? And then all the company cultures or rules that they follow, most of the struggles uh, or the times that we have to really assist, assist, or I, I see more um, time to adjust it is outside of work. The customer service varies really differently. You are maybe told one thing one day and then the second day it's totally different. <laughs> you may be already familiar with the, how the Japanese customer service works. You know, you're told one way and everyone does the same way exactly, no matter who you talk to. Sometimes it can be very frustrating because that was my reverse cultural uh, challenge was when we went to a McDonald's. My family, my kids and my husband loves ketchup, right? So <laughs> they only like give like a two Mm -hmm. Or really like, like it was like a decided, I don't know if you, I don't remember how, it, how many it was like a two or three or something like that. And I had to like, can I please get more? And they're like, oh, we usually give, you know, two or three. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, my family's from America and they love ketchup. They need more ketchup. And they're like, okay. <laughs> but they're like really strict on the certain things. It's good. Sometimes it's good, but it's not flexible. Mm -hmm. But here, it could be also, you know, turnover rate is a lot higher. Mm -hmm. So it can be a training things as well. But the customer service is one of the things that they have really hard time adjusting how it's different it is. And they are also not used to the fact they are speaking in a second language, right? Mm -hmm. Most people who are transferred here has been in a corporate for a long time. Um, you know, hardworking and never had experience of not know or not be able to speak as you're talking in your native language. Mm -hmm. So that can be a really challenging time where they have to get out there on your own and then do take care of, you know, personal things that can be very challenging and difficult. Yeah. In the best of times, it's hard to live your life in a different country, but there's so many factors involved in specifically moving between Japanese and American <laughs> culture, I feel like, just because right. a lot of things are approached very differently. Uh, I, going right. back to what you said about customer service, I remember one of my first jobs as a teenager was mm -hmm. at a, a farmer's market type of situation. And the boss said, within reason, just do whatever, <laughs> with it, just do whatever it takes to make the customer happy and we'll fix it right. later. And then I'll mm. explain to you why you should have or should have not done that. And in Japan, it, I feel like that right. wouldn't work out so well. There has to, it has to be in the manual, maybe <laughs> know what to do next. So just a very a different approach. Yeah, that's interesting. So then vice versa. Have you heard of any common difficulties with Americans who expatriate to Japan in your company? So for my company but in general we don't we haven't had long-term expat 
very few, but for those and for my department, there are some has been there a little longer, a few months, but there are many people who has been there for a short term, like a business trip. So the one thing it's, again, it's obvious the language for those who, you know, don't speak Japanese. They always say, well, I wish I could have talked to them more, but there's so much that they wanted to know more and they enjoy the trip so much that they always say, well, I could have, you know, I wish I could have talked to them more. You know, um, but the other than that, uh, for the long-term expats, one thing that I heard about is like more like attire. I think it depends mm-hmm. on where you work, but most of the companies in Tokyo is very not business casual, even though, you know, they try to be casual, especially in the summertime, but a lot of times business casual in America and the business casual in Japan, again, depending on the company, but um, a lot of the traditional companies tend to be a little bit more dressed up than, I guess, what we call business casual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, yeah, men um, also, you know, tend to wear like a dark color pants and suit and stuff like that. So they have kind of noticed that kind of thing too. So, so that things that I've heard about that too, more like attire, how more like a more formal, traditional and I never worked in a um, Japanese company in Japan. So when I was working in Japan, that was USA Girl Scout. So it was very different, uh, even though we had to, you know, wear proper office attire all the time, but it was a little different too. So that was something I also had to learn as well. When I was, you know, going over there, I was kind of making nervous. Okay, what, I, what should I wear? What that means? And so that's something I had to learn as myself, um, much, much later. Yeah. I think that's a pretty common one from what I've heard too. (laughs) And if you're in doubt, just probably lean a little bit more towards the traditional, the more conservative, and then Mm -hmm. scope things out and decide later on if you can make it a little (laughs) bit more casual later on. Right. So then what specific challenges can people face when they're working in a international company, especially if it's too very distinct corporate cultures like Japan and the United Mm -hmm. States. The challenges? Mm -hmm. Some things that you've noticed, if there are any that you think are unique to that situation. Yeah, maybe a communication style, that can Mm -hmm. be it. Mm -hmm. Like I said, uh, if you get to know that person or if you have the certain corporate rules or the culture of how you communicate, that might be fine. But when it's not defined, the communication style can be very different and it can be challenging. And, you know, you, a lot of listeners probably have heard, you know, when the Japanese say, oh, that's difficult. And most people, okay, that's difficult. That's not impossible. <laughs> so that kind of, when you hear, oh, that, that must be difficult. Um, often that means no, but I'm the kind of person, even though it means no, Okay, so how can we make that happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Since the door is not completely shut, how can we make this happen? So I'm the kind of, even though I know that, oh, that's difficult. And no, that means like, mm, no, unless I've been told, nope, don't even ever mention that. I see that little bit of window of you know opportunity and try mm-hmm. to kind of work it away. But don't come back in the same way. So I ask questions, you know, like how, how can we make it happen? Or is it timing or, but kind of come back later. That shows that I have not given up on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. 
because it's important to know what those cultural things are that, oh, sore wa chotto actually means yeah. no. But right. you just because you know that doesn't mean you have to completely accept it. You can still play with it a little bit. You can still、yeah. work to get around it. So you kind of have to kind of play that. You know, if you if you're pushing too much and you have to kind of withdraw a little bit, waiting the time. But what I often see it is that not just in America, but in Japan as well. Once you're told, yeah, just the musicalities, or ah,、oh, that's kind of a little difficult to get it done. Or, oh,、um, not maybe not now. And then oh, I know this is Japanese culture. That means really no. And then for the Japanese people too, they kind of give up on it. Oh, okay. They kind of say no, so it must be no. It might be a personal thing. I'm known as a more like persistent person. <laughs> so if you want something, then maybe come back to it, and you know, but not too much. Again, like I said, you you have to kind of know the other party of the personality、mm-hmm. and all that. But I'm the kind of person more like a persistent, so kind of try to come back to it. But also let the other, you know, the Japanese know that oh, you're coming back to it. That must be important. That must mean something. Must be really good. So that also kind of tells the other party that it wasn't just the idea. It was something that you're really passionate about. So that will also that window start kind of widening up. I think.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it does require a lot of emotional intelligence on top of right intercultural communication skills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so know the other parties and also you know what works and why not. But that asking question could really help. Because、um, I'm the kind of person, okay, never ever come back to about this, or I don't want to hear about it. Then I won't. I respect that, you know, honesty. But if not, then I'll try to gradually, you know, let them know that no, I have not given up on it. <laughs> so then you've kind of described yourself on LinkedIn as having more of a maternal role in your、yep. company. And does the idea of leadership as almost a parental figure? Resonate pretty well in both Japan and the United States. Do you think? Now, I thought it was just Japanese thing. Till recently, I don't know how long ago it was, but I saw the posting on LinkedIn by one of the famous known author, and you know,、um, Simon Sinek, or I think that's his name.、Um, his、uh, TED talk of like reason why,、um, seeing a lot of million views, but he posted something about. Closest thing to the leadership is the parenting,、mm. and that time I realized, oh, it wasn't just the my thing or Japanese culture thing, but it, that thought exists in different countries as well. And I've been often told that the, my approach of that kind of like you know parenting kind of way, but also I think it's a lot of times Japanese kind of see it that way too.、Um, mm. Is more common, I will say, in Japan probably than U.S. But I was surprised to see that also thoughts is not just the Japanese thing, but in the U.S. as well. But I, like you said, it, I would say it's more common probably in Japan to see it that way.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about that dynamic in Japan? Like, why does it exist? What does it tend to look like? So I think because that's like a long term, like a lifetime. Employment in Japan, right? Traditionally, even though it's changing right now, so once you enter that company, then they will see you as somebody, a new grad, need to be taught the proper 
you know, the business world, uh, I don't know, all the rules and rules and rules of all those rules <laughs> for starting, you know, from the one and so that you can grow. And if you are uh, somebody's manager or supervisors, and then they see uh, somebody who's working under as your child. So whatever they make a mistake, that's your responsibility. And I don't want to name a person or the company, but if you have been paying attention to what's going on in Japan, a few years ago, there was a big scandal. One of the big uh, Japanese automaker hired the first non-Japanese female executive, and that person got arrested. And I don't know if she was officially charged towards the later or not. I don't know if that charge was dropped or not. I kind of don't remember. But then that CEO of that company had to have this official press conference. And then during that press conference, he did mention as well as that all his direct reports are like his children. And as a parent, it is his job to make sure um, they're safe, but also to trust children. So that is kind of textbook example of how they, in Japanese corporate culture, often see that if somebody make a mistake under you, and that is your responsibility. And often, now as much of that boss may be super mad about that person <laughs> making a mistake, but usually if it's that traditional good manager would say, I apologize. That was my department and I should have been careful. I apologize. So they, that person would apologize on behalf of that person. And then I think that's a lot of times they want to make sure how the decisions made, you know, they might see it as a micromanagement, want to know what's going on, want to know how it's been done, stuff like that. And that's kind of shows the reverse of it because that person was going to take a responsibility in the end. So they want to know how it's going to be and so that they can take a responsibility in the end. I think that part of kind of thought maybe doesn't exist as much in the United States. I'm pretty sure it exists, but not maybe as common. And you don't see that life example like that. I haven't seen any top executives being fired or get arrested. And then the top CEO would make a press conference and be in the media and say, I apologize, you know, it's more taken as a personal responsibility, not boss, especially when it comes to something happened in personal life. Mm -hmm. But that scandal was not so much related to the business. It was more like what that person was doing, even though that person was stationed or was in Japan because of the business. Maybe that has to somewhat related to uh, business, but that person was really got caught for personal reasons. Mm -hmm. That's a very clear example. So thank you for sharing that. Just how it provides a lot of context to what Americans would usually call micromanaging in mm -hmm. Japanese culture, where it, it definitely makes sense to be micromanaging people if everything they do is your responsibility. So right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot more understandable if you can think about it in that context. Right. And then, you know, your boss will be asked by their boss or his or her boss, what's going on with X, Y, and Z. And if you don't know, oh, I don't know, then that means, oh, you're not taking care of your business. You're not, you know, being a good manager because you don't know 
what they're doing or how things are. So you have to follow up and make sure things are doing okay. So that also kind of answers why you've been asked all those questions or where things are or, or how it's going. That's because you've been, you, you know, your boss will be asked by their boss how it's going. Then that's, they will see that as their job to know really exactly how it's going. But yeah. I understand that can be seen as a micromanaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in America, it seems like it's more common to just be like, okay, you do the best you can. We'll evaluate what you do. If you don't mm-hmm. do a good job, then we'll just fire you. But that's not really how it works <laughs> right. in Japan mm-hmm. so much. So, Right. That- so if you, yeah, if that person didn't do a great job and that's the boss's kind of responsibility, right. that was shido or like in the coaching had to be done, but you didn't. So you abandoned your responsibility. That's kind of how they would see it. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Thank you for explaining that in such a clear way. So do you have any personal examples of communication breakdowns due to differences in culture between Japan and the United States? One thing that, well, I've noticed was that when people come to Japan, they would have this image of people are super nice, but some people would be shocked the fact that they don't hold the door for you (laughs) or how pushy they can be. They don't say, excuse me, but they just go around, you know, everywhere for those kind of things I've uh, noticed or people comment on that. And um, I've told this before too, that uh, in Japan, they tend to be really in a hurry of something like rushing into things, right? Especially Again, this kind of comes back to the customer service, but if somebody uh, is waiting for you, then they tend to run. Or otherwise, if the person who is waiting for you would see you as you're being rude, you're not hurrying up, even though you know somebody's waiting for you. (laughs) So that's my personal take is that I tend to run, even though when I'm not supposed to. And the people are like, why are you running? Slow down. But that's like... I don't know. I think that's a lot to do with my personality as well. But that also, I guess, cultural thing, not so much communication, but cultural things that I've noticed, uh, I notice about myself, but also the other have commented as well. It's funny that that's so ingrained that even now you'll still find yourself, oh, I'm in a hurry. I have to run, even though (laughs) we just don't really do that here. (laughs) But yeah. And the door thing does get to me though. I'm not going to lie in Japan because I'm such a compulsive door holder person. Right. So having, and, yeah, having doors shut in my face is always like, oh my gosh, like what's going right. on? Right. And sometimes <laughs> even, I mean, there are some people who would hold the door for you, especially if they have little kids or, you know, stroller and stuff like that. Even with that, some people don't, it just, I don't know if they're used to automatic doors. Mm. You know, the Japanese traditional door is a sliding door. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But after a while being in the United States and going back to Japan, that's like, why don't they do that? (laughs) It's such a small thing, but it just has such a strong influence on your impression. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. So then if you were chatting with somebody who was going to Japan for business and you really only had time to teach them one thing, what would you teach them? Other than to, think about to watch out, time. other than to watch yeah, out for closing is that doors. Really, if I really, ha- if I had to be the one thing, mm-hmm. ooh, can I give your audience an option, one over the other? Okay, they get to choose. <laughs> they can, yeah, they can choose. So smile, 
if you are going to be like asking for something at the store or order something, that smile goes a long way. And even with a face mask, you can smile with your eyes, right? I know it's a lot harder, but you can still smile with your eyes. So I will say, if you're comfortable with a facial expression, smile. Option two, if you're not too really, you know, particular with smiling to the strangers, then gesture of this nodding. That would give us such a kind of nonverbal communication of, oh, that person kind of respect the Japanese culture of the kind of bowing. Like, you know, this is saying thank you without smiling. Um, and then that's a lot of Japanese people too, without for no reason. I'm pretty sure people make fun of, you know, Japanese go like this on the phone, saying thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's a natural way. So when you're ordering something or asking somebody, they just, if you forgot how to say thank you in Japanese, you can just do this. Then they know you're thanking them. Mm-hmm. So either smile or bow. But in Japan, they're not used to seeing you smile, like walking past the street or, you know, if you're sitting on a train and then if you have kind of eye to eye, somebody looking at you and then if you smile back, that's something they're not used to it. But if you are going to be at the store or talking to somebody, then the first thing to do kind of smile or the bow. And if you can do both, I think that'd be golden smile and bow. <laughs> yes. That's a great thing to aspire to, yeah. I think. And luckily that's something that tends to come naturally to a lot of Americans. <laughs> well, every city is a little bit different, but right. I guess Americans are notorious for smiling so much that I think the saying in Russia is if you see somebody smiling mm-hmm. on the street, they're either crazy or American. So, <laughs> You know, I heard about that in Russia. It's not a common thing to do, right? To the strangers, but I always tell the Japanese staff, the smile goes a long way. And then when I teach um, some of the students, local students about cultural, you know, you know, cultural, cultural uh, communications, the smile has, you know, goes a long way. And that's kind of universal language, except in certain countries. Yeah. Yeah, there's always exceptions, but it definitely right. But in Japan, if you're sitting on the train or standing on the train, don't smile at those, you know, at them because they won't know what to do with it. <laughs> They're not used to that. But the stores or your friends or your, you know, colleagues, that that will help. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you for that. And the bowing. So mm-hmm. what you're talking about is like the small bow. Yes. You don't want to go yeah. to the full. 90 degree angle for everything well, that, that would show like super yeah. duper like, polite yeah you know, like oh okay probably they will bow too right yep. <laughs> so it's never a bad thing to do more mm-hmm. but it's kind of hard to do if you're like a quick you know you gotta go that way it's like a nodding it's yes. good yeah. yeah which you can it's pick like up on anything you can pick up on pretty quickly when you're in Japan because it's such a ubiquitous Yes, because I was taught to do that since I was young age. Like, you know, I said, I grew up in a small community. So from my parents, I was told that if somebody's driving by and if, you, if I'm walking, if you see my neighbor, make sure you bow. Mm. If you don't, that's rude. Oh, the cars too. Mm-hmm. So the cars, <laughs> yeah. So if I'm walking the street and then my neighbor, usually the people who drive by is all my neighbors. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh, I don't know how old I was. I was pretty young, maybe younger than kindergarten. My mom would say, "Well, you're old enough now to say greet to people, so you bow." 
So I think it's one of the sign neighbors would comment such and such, oh, such a grow up. They say hi to me the other day. Kind of like sign of growing up is to be able to bow. <laughs> mm, that's, that's so cute though. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably it won't happen in a city. Right. Even though you're from Japan, because I was, you know, I come from such a small community that everyone knew everybody, mm-hmm. that it was important to kind of acknowledge that, you know, somebody uh, passing by as a neighbor. So, so the mm-hmm. bowing was kind of saying hi. This is saying hi. <laughs> right, yeah. right. And if you were bowing to every single car in Tokyo, that would be a problem yeah. really quickly. And then you won't know them either, right? They're yeah. all strangers. <laughs> but where I grew up, every car you pass by, either either neighbors or a neighbor's cousins or somebody that we know of. So it's more like if you pass by somebody you don't know, it's more like a the talk of the day. Who was that? Or who, who whose car was that <laughs> kind of thing? <laughs> well, thank you for that. I think that'll be pre- an easy thing to, for people to remember and be able to put into practice. <laughs> that's for sure. So is there anything else you wanted to share with the audience before we head off for today? Well, you know, one thing I have to say is that earlier we talked about, you know, working with the different cultures, um, not just between people in the United States and in Japan too, but one thing I'd like to uh, share is that, you know, it's okay to agree, to disagree. It's one of my favorite quote I have many different quotes that I always say that love, but one of the thing I like is agree to disagree. Because mm-hmm. if you go to different countries or if you work in an international companies, you would have a lot of people from different countries or different religions or different beliefs or a practice or a custom. Just because you don't believe in, in what they believe in doesn't mean that you have to disrespect their beliefs. So it's okay to say, oh, that's cool. You believe in that, but I don't agree with that or so we just have to agree to disagree that the fact that we have different thoughts uh, or opinions on certain things and uh, also be flexible as much as possible and adjust to how you communicate depending on who you are dealing dealing with you know I kind of talked about it earlier depending on who you're dealing with if we say you know it's difficult sometimes you might have a chance sometimes you don't but you really have to know who you are dealing with and trying to adjust as much as you can. Doesn't mean you have to convert 100%, but at least try to meet in the middle of no. If you know your colleagues don't like certain way of talking to talk to or do maybe, I don't know, you do something that bothers them. Once you find out or if you already know, then try not to do that. Just more like be respectful for that other person. So that's, I guess, tip of the day for people who would be working with people, not just between Japan and America, but for other countries as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is, especially the first point you made is a very universal truth. Even if you never set foot outside of your home country, Mm -hmm. I feel like these past few years, we've noticed how strong the impulse is when we see something we don't agree with to just start yelling at the other person and tell them why they're wrong. When in Mm -hmm. reality, that impulse is not constructive. Mm. The only thing you can control is yourself. You cannot control what anybody else thinks. So being able to step back and acknowledge that I think is right. really important. Well, so you know, you can kind of ask why, mm-hmm. why they think that way or why they act that way. Um, of course, you probably have to have that first relationship to be able to have that conversation. But I think it's okay to get to know the other side of it so you understand better 
Mm-hmm. Again, doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but at least you understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And be sure to check out all of the links in the description of the episode. Is there anything in particular you wanted to plug or should people just look down below? Yeah, just to look down below for the bio. All right, perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. that you enjoyed today's conversation and be sure to check out the links in the description of this episode to learn more about Chie Schuller and all of her projects and activities. And you can even check her out on Clubhouse now as well. If you enjoyed today's conversation, go ahead and share it with a friend, colleague, or connection on LinkedIn to help spread the message and information shared in the podcast. And please remember to go ahead and subscribe and leave a rating and review if you enjoy the podcast. And feel free to email me at businesssuccesstopan at gmail.com if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics. Also, be sure to reach out if you would like to contribute as a guest on the podcast to share your own cultural insights into doing business in Japan. If you'd like to leave a voice message, you can find the link to do that in the description as well. But for now, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you will become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. Until next time, mata kondo!